Okay, I think we're going here. Let's see how this works. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome, everybody. Hey, can you guys see me? Okay, and I think can we're you going hear me? Here. It's giving Let's me a see message. How this this works. Hello, oh, hello, on, everybody. There we go. Um, let me know if you can see me and hear me okay. It's giving me some weird messages, so just want to make sure we're on point. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Glad you're here. Welcome to another live stream, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. We do this every 7 p.m. Mountain Time on Wednesday. So glad to have you all here. Hey, Bob. Just waiting to make sure that folks tell me they can hear me and see me okay. I think they can. Yeah, great. Okay, thanks, Jad. All right, we're going to get to it then. Um, have some exciting stuff just on kind of the uh, fish that came in, new fish that came in. Candy got a little sneak peek of them, and so I'm excited to uh, share them and for Candy to see the rest of them and um, fish that are going out. So there'll be a bunch of neat fish listed for sale this Friday, so I'll tell you all about that. But before we do that, it looks like uh, 54 Punchy, did I see something about you're your sending out some art to folks? Um, so that's awesome. Um, Pam, where can we see that? Do you have a site where we can go check your stuff out and order it or anything like that? I would love to see your stuff. Um, for those that are new here or have forgotten, if you make your comment at Dan's Fish, let it populate, select Dan's Fish, then it'll highlight for me. I'll see it and I'll jump right to it. So um, let's see. Okay, I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll tell you about the new stuff that came in Monday. And the highlight of my week was um, I got to, after I picked up the fish, I went over to Candy Overhaul's house and dropped off some uh, fish she had gotten. And while I was there, I got to meet Caleb and he got to do a little unboxing. So I had four boxes of fish and I brought one inside and let him unbox them um, just so he could see them and see how they're shipped and everything. And then we resealed them up and put them back in the car. But he got lucky. He got to unbox the, uh, the clouded archer fish, which was pretty cool. So that was really, really neat. Um, so here's what we got in. And not everything I wanted, but a better proportion of what I wanted than usual. So I ordered a whole bunch of Sudamugil <laughs> furcata. My cough's gone. I just coughed again. That's weird. I think I must get like tense when I'm on camera and like tighten up my throat or something. And I was really excited because the invoice said that they came in and everything. And I opened it up and they were feather fins, thread fins, which is fine. That's one of my favorite rainbows. But I just got 200 of those in like the week before. So now I have like 400 thread fin rainbows. So we might be doing like a massive sale on thread fin rainbows. So those came in. Some true south, uh, not south, some true Siamese algae eaters, which is great. The... Burmese clouded archer fish, which you can see in the aquarium behind me, getting acclimated. They ate today for the first time. They ate pellets right away and flakes right away, which was great. They weren't interested in food yesterday, but they were settled enough that today they started eating. Um, so they've kind of started their, uh, I, I saw some evidence of some worms in them. So I started them on the prazi and metronidazole. So we'll do that for at least a week and then probably another treatment at about two weeks. So it might be a little while before those go out. 
but that's okay. I'm not going to ship during the holidays anyway. Um, last shipping day for me is December 17th. So this, this coming Monday is the last day I'll ship until, until the Monday after the new year. Um, what else did we get? Um, got some croaking garamis, which if you've never seen these, I love these little guys. We all know the sparkling garami, right? This is kind of like that, but it gets about three inches. So it's, it's like a large sparkling garami. Um, larger extensions on the anal fin for the males and, and more color and a lot of those little iridescent spots, but they get big enough that I love sparkling garamis. Don't get me wrong. I, I love them. I've kept them several times and they're great. But I like the croaking garamis because they're big enough that you can actually see them easily. <laughs> um, <coughs> that's weird. I haven't coughed for several days, but I get on camera and I really think my, my throat just tightens up from the excitement and maybe the, I don't know, camera angst. Um, got some killifish. They were called golden panchaks. And the same supplier had golden wonders. So I ordered them hoping that they would be Aplicylus lineatus or Aplicylus dei or Aplicylus kirschmeieri or something like that. No, they're just golden wonders. So they just had golden wonders and golden panchaks on same supplier. <laughs> so I got golden wonders kind of accidentally. Got some baddest baddest if you guys know those. Uh, great little, they used to kind of call them a garami. They're like a cross between a garami and a cichlid, but not a large fish, really neat patterning on them, change their color with their mood. So they're called the chameleon fish sometimes. Uh, a bunch of those, really like that fish a lot. Got some, uh, I'm not sure what this species is, but it's a hillstream loach. So it's a gastromycin, if I remember that genus right, species. It's not the typical one you see, which is Sewilia lineolata. I think I'm saying that right, or somewhat right. Um, but it's a different one. It's spotted on the on the back and well, I'll show you pictures and video as we get further along. And then here's drum roll, please. This is a fish I've been trying to get forever. Empire gudgeons. They finally came in. I got 40 of them. None of no losses at all. They appear to be bulletproof. I mean, it's only been a couple of days, but they, they're doing great. And I am so thrilled to finally have them. Empire gudgeons. If you guys, let me, let me, for those that aren't familiar with this fish, um, let me show you this. I'm really excited to have these. Um, so here they are. Here's some pictures of them. These are empire gudgeons. Now the ones I have are about an inch to maybe the biggest one is an inch and a half. So they aren't fully colored yet by any means, but uh, they'll get there. And I cannot wait. Uh, a fish I've been waiting for for a long, long time. And I'm excited to finally have. Then I got some uh, epistogammas, some epistogamma agazizii. Epistogramma, I suppose. I don't know why I'm not saying the R. Um, green giant angels or Belgian green angelfish, which are a, a cool new mutation for those that don't follow angelfish. Check that out. Google green giant angelfish or Belgian green angelfish. You'll see what I'm talking about. Some uwaru, which is a great cichlid. It's, uh, it eats a lot of vegetable matter. And like a discus, it's one of the few fish that feeds its babies off its slime coat. 
So Uwaru feed their babies like discus do. The babies peck the slime coat off the uh, adults. Then the last one is Fundalupantex gardneri, the killifish, my favorite killifish. And people keep asking me, what's a good killy? What killy should I start with and all that? And so I was like, well, I'm going to get a bunch of them in so that when I tell them this is the fish I recommend, I also have them available in case they can't find them locally. So that's, that's the haul for this week. Um, I'm really excited about, well, all of them, but the peacock gudgeons, oh man, clouded archers, Uwaru, and those uh, green giant angels. I'm, those are all kind of really cool fish that are hard to get. The other ones I like a lot and I'm excited about too, but they aren't fish that I have been like struggling to get forever. So it's cool to get some of those in. So that's the update for those that want to know about what came in this week. Um, let me see. I saw some comments and things and questions. And then um, I was talking about this. So let me go back to those. Again, if you have a question or comment for me, then please make it at Dan's Fish. It'll populate. It'll highlight. I'll see it and I'll get right to it. Brandon asks, best dither fish for pelvic acromis that won't prey on fry. Hmm. Well, I suppose for that... I'm thinking of two things. One is a fish that stays at the top of the aquarium. And there's a few of those, but I'm trying to think of one that'll never come down. And I'm kind of failing. <laughs> Besides African butterfly fish, which don't move enough to be a good dither. Um, I was thinking of some kind of half beak, but... Those love to eat fish and they will occasionally come down. So that could be a problem. So let me go the other way. I think some of the pencil fish would be a great bet for you. Uh, some of the Nanostomus species, maybe Nanostomus beck 40 or beck 40 maybe is one that's easily accessible, very available, not expensive. I almost got a big batch of them this round, but I, then I didn't have room for the... Uh, Furcata, <laughs> Pseudomugil furcatas that I planned on getting. Um, Nanostomes equus is another one. I think that's what I would suggest going for pencil fish. That being said, <clears throat> they will eat fry. It's just their mouth is so small and they're not a fast swimmer. So they're going to be less of a threat than most of your other fish. I think that's what I would go with. Does anyone else have a better idea? I mean, that's, that's what I can think of. Pencil fish, small, not a fast swimmer, probably your best bet. What do other folks think though? Is there something better than that, that I'm just missing? Um, and remember, it's not just a dither fish. It's a dither fish that has to stay in the aquarium and not eat the fry. I think pencils are your best bet. That's what I'm going with. Thomas Skipper. Hey, Good to see you. Glad you're here again. Welcome. Fish Guru. Hey, Thomas. I, oh my gosh, you got him. I got some Crioba. I always butcher Zeguensis. I always butcher that. Um, I'm so excited. Where'd you get them? Where'd you find them? I saw on Facebook that there was maybe a female available in Florida, but uh, spill the beans, man. I, I want to hear the end of this saga. So this is a fish that, for those that don't know, that Thomas has been looking for for, I don't know, ever since I've known Thomas, but probably long before that as well. So that's exciting. 
how many did you get? How big are they? Where'd you find them? Blah, blah, blah. Um, if you don't mind telling the price or kind of were they real expensive or not, things like that, uh, you don't have to. You don't have to give an exact price. You could just kind of give an indication or, or nothing if you don't want to. I totally get that. But Thomas, give me more. Give me more. <laughs> um, 54 Punchy says, you need more coffee, Dan. It cures everything. Well, I do need the cure for everything. Um, <laughs> River life, baddest, baddest. Yep. Um, so there are some baddest that are really small that are thought of as baddest. So those are like, like the Dario species, the scarlet baddest, things like that. They're similar to that, but this is a different species and they're going to get, I don't know, they're going to, what, around two inches, maybe a little more. So they're a little bigger than like your Dario Dario. They're much more peaceful. And I'm going to see how well I can adapt them to pellets and flake food. They, I know they're going to want live and frozen to begin with, and they might be tricky. So I've got my work cut out for me to kind of transition them over. But if I can get them to eat pellets and flakes, then they're an interesting fish. They're a couple inches or so, and they're, they don't have the aggression issues you get with the Dario species. I almost got a sack full of Darios. I almost got a few hundred of them, but, but I didn't because I've learned in the past that they're so aggressive to each other. Those little males, they're cute and they're, they're not just cute. They're, they're stunningly gorgeous, but they're so aggressive to each other. Um, so, so I didn't, those in celestial pearl danios, they just, they're both such gorgeous little nanofish and I love them so much, but they are mean to each other. So it's hard to keep them. Oh, Bob, I did want to let you know, um, the, I ordered some long fin paleotis quarries but they were shorted. Those did not come in. I tried to get 30 of them because I know some folks want them. They just didn't come in. I'm sorry about that. I will try again next time. Otter Creek Aquatics. I got some Corydoras eggs. Yes! They just smash. No! And some that are hard. Yes! The ones that smash infertile. Yes. Is this an easy way to tell the difference? They're either infertile or they're just newly laid. So odds are they're infertile. But if they've been there for a few minutes and they're still soft, then yes, they're infertile. As soon as the egg is fertilized, it pretty rapidly hardens up. Um, you know, it's got to prevent another sperm from getting in and fertilizing the egg twice or whatever. So if it's, uh, if it's tough, it's fertile. If it's soft, it's either infertile or um, just hasn't hardened up quite yet. What kind of quarries are they, uh, Otter Creek? Are they Aeneas or Paleotis, or do you have something fancy going on? Fish Guru Aquatics. I got three juvenile crobias. I keep on saying cro... <laughs> I keep saying it wrong. Crobias, I'm assuming. Almost breeding age. Cool. We're going to wait until they breed once for him, just in case something happened during shipping. He's giving them for 15 bucks. Oh, man, that's exciting. That's exciting, Thomas. I'm so excited for you. Good, good, good. So do you have them yet or you found a source? So hopefully you have them and they're already there and happy and healthy, but um, are you still, do they have to get shipped to you? Where are you at in the process? 
Carter Bing, any tips on reducing elimination of fungus on fish eggs? Yes. So I need to do a, a video on this. I have one from way back in the day, which is about uh, Florida flagfish, where I go through the process of how I incubate the eggs. And I think I did it with Wapoga Red Laser Rainbow Fish too. So you can check those videos out. But those are species profiles where I talked about the fish care and everything and then talked about the breeding at the end more or less because I was breeding them at the same time. So what I need to do is a video just on like egg incubation in general. So there's a few ways to do it. Carter, it would help if you told me which species you're trying to breed. But here's the general thing. Flow really helps reduce fungus. Now, not all fish eggs like flow, but if you're doing any fish that has a large enough egg and non-adhesive enough egg, you can easily put it in an egg tumbler. That can help a lot. Just that constant flow helps a ton. So that's one option. Now, for other fish, that doesn't always work. Like right now, I peacock gudgeon spawning. They're, they're spawning a ton. I think I have six males sitting on eggs right now. And I already pulled a few batches of eggs. So every time I pull a batch of eggs, there's two more sitting on eggs. It's crazy. But what I do for those is I lay the pipe down like, like this. This is the pipe, right? I don't have any pipe here on my desk I can show you. Here, this will be better. It's not pipe, but it's not my finger either. So let's say that this is the pipe that's full of eggs. Then I take an uplift tube that has an air stone in it and I put it about here. And so what's happening is the air stone in this tube is drawing water through the bottom of the tube and out the top, circulating water. And if I put this one close to it like this, then it also draws water, not rapidly, but a constant flow through this pipe here. So that's one way if you can't get the eggs in an air tumbler, if they're super adhesive like gobies and gudgeons and things, you can uh, do that and get, get flow. If they're angelfish eggs, I pull them, I put them in a container of water, and I just put an air stone a little bit above them. So the air stone isn't, the air isn't hitting them directly, but it's keeping the water moving around them. And then there's lots of fish eggs like Corydoras and rainbow fish and killifish and mop spawning kind of things where I don't um, do any of that. I just put them in a container with stagnant water, just meaning there's no air stone in it or anything, not stagnant like like smelly old or anything like that. And then I replace, I change that water two to three to four times a day, depending on how much I'm around that, that day. So at least morning and evening. So those are kind of the, I'll give you one more tip in a second, but those are kind of the, the setups that, that I do. And then the chemical I use, you can use methylene blue, you can use acroflavin, um, all that, but methylene blue stains stuff a lot. Acroflavin might be a carcinogen. Um, what I have been using for the last several years is just hydrogen peroxide, just the normal 3% hydrogen peroxide you can buy at your local Walmart or grocery store or drugstore or whatever. And it's two milliliters per gallon. You can go a little higher, but that's about right, about two milliliters per gallon. And every time you change the water in the egg container, you replace, you put the hydrogen peroxide back in. As soon as the eggs are about to hatch, you stop putting hydrogen peroxide in 
because you don't want to burn the gills on the little baby fish. But that's the only chemical that I use routinely. Now, a couple other things you can do if you have a mop spawner, you can just take the mop, leave it in the aquarium and let them hatch and remove the spawners. Or you can take the mop out, put it in its own aquarium with good flow and let them hatch there. And then the last thing that works a lot is cherry shrimp, neocaridinas or caridina type shrimp, crystal red, that crystal reds, cherries, those kinds of species. And if you get an established cherry shrimp colony or have a tank that's well established that you can put a few cherry shrimp in and you put your eggs in there, the cherry shrimp will tend those eggs. Right now they're tending my peacock gudgeon eggs. I also have the, the uplift thing going that I told you about before, so water's flowing through, but I also have cherry shrimp in there. Now, I'm sure that there is an egg or an embryo or a, you know, newly hatched belly sliding fry that isn't free swimming yet that a neocaridina shrimp or caridina type shrimp might eat, but I've yet to encounter it. So I've used cherry shrimp and uh, crystal red shrimp with lots of different types of fish and I've never had a problem. I had really bad hatch results with Fundulus catenatus, which is a uh, awesome killifish, but it comes from, from, unlike most killifish, from rapidly flowing streams with high oxygen. So they didn't do well in stagnant water. So one day in despair, I threw them in with my cherry shrimp colony, thinking these eggs are bad, the cherry shrimp can just eat them. And they didn't eat them. They cleaned them up and they all hatched. And so that's how I kind of discovered that trick. And since then, I've used it with, with lots of different species. So that's another trick. I think that's, think that's kind of the, the generals about that. If you tell me the exact species, then I can give you something else. But, um, but yeah, that's a good overview, I think, on flow, hydrogen peroxide, cherry shrimp and changing the water frequently if they're just in a container without good flow. And oh, even if they're in a container with good flow, like my angelfish eggs, it does help to change the water and keep it fresh. And it's not fresh tap water, right? Get like a five gallon bucket or something, get an air stone or a power head in there, put some D-chlor in there and let it circulate for, you know, a day before you put it in. That's my advice. So Carter, hope that helps. Candy, a dance fish. Was not objective. You, Oh, dance fish. Mean was not the adjective you used when talking about CPDs. Well, what did I say? I wonder what I said. I'll have to watch the replay. I My brain often uh, calculates one word and I say something else and get them confused. Because when I'm on camera, I'm always thinking like, three steps ahead what I'm going to say next. So my mind's like spinning super fast and sometimes my mouth can't catch up. And so there's a disconnect between what I'm thinking and what I'm saying. I wonder what I said. <laughs> I'll have to look. <laughs> Otter Creek, your pandy core, pandy, candy, pandy, <laughs> like that. I was just talking to candy and then I read panda and it came into pandy. Candy, I'm going to start calling you Pandy from now on. <laughs> Panda quarries. Cool. That's a species I've never bred. Um, that's awesome. I'm glad they're breeding for you. Fish Guru Aquatics says he'll have his Crioba, Crobia, in January. Awesome. That's great. 
Chef Hannibal. Hey Dan, how are the half beaks coming along? Great. They are fantastic. And not just because they're cool, because I haven't lost a single one. I honestly don't think in the bag, in the tanks, I got 200 of them. Not a single one. They are rock solid. So I will, unless like something super unforeseen happens and there's a problem between now and then, I'll list them Friday morning. They're, they're, they're amazing. So they're also eating flakes and pellets, anything that stays at the surface. I mean, rapashi no, because that sinks and it's like a blob, but they'll eat any, any small things of food that stay at the surface. They're fantastic. I, they're doing great, man. Doing really, really well. Um, all right. So yeah, um, so Friday I'll be releasing for sale the Highway Catfish and the Cauliflower Swordtails the half beaks, the threadfin rainbows, not the batch I just got Monday, but the batch I got, you know, a couple weeks ago. And let's see, what else is there? Um, hang on, let me check. I'm going to wait a bit on the, um, Boraris unimaculatus, a uh, neat little red uh, and spotted rasbora, kind of like a chili rasbora, but with a different pattern. I'm going to wait on them, not because they're unhealthy, but they came in really skinny and they're just such a small fish that I want to make sure that they're fat, like fat and sassy before I send them. So they're sassy right now, but I want to get some more weight on them. So if I look at them Friday morning and I'm like, oh man, those things have bulked up enough, then I'll list them for sale. But I think it might take a little longer. So those probably won't be for sale for a bit. And then the, um, for those that don't know, let you, I'm going to let you learn from my painful experience here. I got a micro Devario Kubatai in, which is the neon green rasbora, the Kubatai rasbora. Beautiful little nano fish. Um, about an inch and really bright green, just even in the bag, they, they're true green. And what I didn't know is that they're beyond sensitive to chlorine. So I don't think I covered this last week. Hopefully I'm not repeating myself, but for, for those that are thinking of this fish, here's something you should know that I learned. Um, every other fish in my fish room was doing great, not a problem, but those guys were not doing well and I could not figure out why. So I put a call out on Facebook and uh, 54 Punchy told me that she had noticed that hers were sensitive to chlorine. So I checked some things and even though the chlorine wasn't registering in my water, I knew that the carbon block filters I used to remove chlorine had been there for a while. So I was like, well, nothing's registering, but I can't think of anything else. So I put in fresh carbon block filters and they stabilized pretty much like immediately. So, I mean, it took a little while, but it seemed to make a huge difference. So anyone that's thinking of getting that fish, if you do, I would highly recommend that you um, get your, when you, you prep for the water change by getting a, I don't know, bucket, filling it with the water, putting in your dechlor, putting in an air stone or a some kind of power head or something to circulate it and letting it circulate for 
I don't know, 12 to 24 hours. Maybe it's overkill, but that's what I would do before I siphoned out their tank and replaced it uh, with the new water. I, I've never met a fish that's that sensitive to chlorine. And I get it. They come from headwaters. So they come from the purest water on earth, just up at the very tippy top where the rivers start forming. So it's very pure water. They, you know, down the river further, lots of contaminants and stuff get washed into the river. So the species that live further down river are used to that and they're much more tolerant. But these guys come from such clean water that um, they appear to be very sensitive to any chemicals, well, chlorine anyway, in the water. So, and I imagine it'd be the same for like ammonia and nitrite and stuff like that too. So if you're going to keep that fish, just be aware of that. I don't think that they're delicate. I think they're a hardy fish. I just think they don't like chlorine and toxins. So I don't know if that's a, if that makes sense, but yeah. Carter Bing says discus. Oh, discus eggs. Ooh, that's a hard one, Carter. Um, because I personally would never want to remove the discus eggs from the parents because I want the babies to eat the slime coat off the parents. I suppose mesalin blue would be okay to use in the aquarium with the parents. So you might want to look into that one. I mean, fish can also live in acroflavin. I wouldn't use hydrogen peroxide in that case because that can be hard on the adult fish, I would imagine. I would imagine it would burn their gills and be very uncomfortable for them. So with discus, now discus can spawn and raise spawns in hard water, but if you're having trouble over and over again, you might need to soften your water. That could really help like half RO, half tap water. That might be a ticket to help. Temperature, 84 to 86 degrees. If they're a domestic strain, you know, if they're a wild import, that can be a little different. Um, and just, I, I mean, I had imagine that you're keeping the tank really clean because you're keeping discus in there spawning for you. But yeah, I think as far as an additive goes, I would probably go with methylene blue. And then if that didn't work, I might think about acroflavin. But methylene blue is going to be a lot more mild um, of a substance to use. So those are my thoughts on that. Anyone else here have a, have a secret for preventing discus eggs from fungusing? Uh, something, a trick you've learned that could help Carter out? Dolly Vigil. How are my female thread fins doing? They're doing great. I'll be listing them for sale on Friday. I don't have many though. I think I counted three. So that tank has a couple hundred in it. And I think they might be three females in there. It's really hard to count them because they're moving so fast and, and stuff. And I'm looking for this fish without extensions. <laughs> and they're just hard to spot. But I think, uh, Dolly, I think I'll have three for you Friday morning. Uh, I'll let you know by email. Cichlids23, I got some bumblebee pilates. Good. And one went from, oh no, one went from swimming around healthy. Three minutes later, she's nose down dead. Then I noticed some weird chunks out of two of their tails. No other fish in the tank. Well, at first I was really excited because he got some platies. 
So let me ask this. Is it like you had them in a bag, they're new fish, you put them in the tank, and three minutes later they're gone? Or is it they're in the tank, they're swimming around, they've been in there for six months, you're watching them, everything's great, and then suddenly suddenly something goes down. So was it a new fish you added to the tank and then they went down or were they in there for a long time before that happened? Need a little more information, Cichlids 23. Um, but hopefully I can help you out. I have some ideas, just depends on your specific scenario. Carter being discus. All right, cool. I think got that. Small fry aquarium fish. Sorry I'm late. Well, as you know, there is no forgiveness for lateness. Tardiness will not be tolerated. Off to the principal's office with you. Now, glad you're here, Craig. Um, Cichlids 23, it was two days after they came, but the bags were ice cold upon arrival. Okay. So that makes me think, that makes me think that there's probably something in your tank you've got to look for. Um, by the way, in the winter, it's very common for fish to come ice cold. When I get fish in from the wholesaler, they're often in the low 60s. And I get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them, thousands even. And I, I'm sure it's stressful for them and it's not great for them, I'm sure. But it's also not necessarily deadly. So fish come in cold all the time. And as long as other things are good, usually that's not something that will... will... I mean, yes, it's a stressor, but it's not like the lethal thing if everything else is fine. So cold bags, not fun, but also not necessarily the end all be all of what killed a fish. In fact, something, this is gonna go way, way against normal practice, but there have been times, I think fish are a lot less sensitive to temperature changes than we think. Now I'm not saying we should out of, in normal practice, not temperature acclimate our fish, but there's times when fish come in and the bag is cloudy and I can smell the ammonia through the bag and the fish are struggling and they come in in the low 60s and I've got a choice. Do I float the fish, temperature acclimate them, or do I get them out of that toxic bag? If I temperature acclimate them, what's gonna happen is they're gonna sit in that soup for a while, that kind of toxic soup, it's going to do more damage to them. And as the temperature increases, the effects of the toxins are going to be quicker because their metabolism will increase and all that. Car uh, Cichlid 23, I'll get back to you in just a sec. I just thought of this and I want to go down this rabbit hole. So what I always do is I'll take that 60 degree bag Empty the fish through a net and put them right in the tank. So they'll go from 60, 62 degrees to 77 degrees like that. And I know that you're thinking, that's horrible. You're going to kill them. I'm telling you, it doesn't. Like, I've done that with lots of fish. Again, not normal practice. Like, if they come in the bag and everyone's fine, I'll absolutely temperature acclimate them. But I've had shipments that included thousands of fish where lots of the fish were struggling. I had to get them out real quick. And I jumped that. I don't know, 15, almost 20 degrees sometimes. And I don't think it's that hard on them. You know, the vast majority snap right up as soon as they get out of that toxic water and, uh, and recover quickly. So 
Temperature, yes, it's something we want to be cognizant of because it can be a stressor. But, you know, in the wild, a fish that's in six feet of water is in pretty cool water. And then if they swim up to the surface real quick, they're going to experience a big temperature change. Or if they swim over to the shore and get into the shallow water, that water can be many times greater, many times. It's not like orders of magnitude, but could easily be 10 to 20 degrees warmer than where they were when they were down in the main part of the body of water. So, um, so cichlids 23, you, you're probably going to be like, no, I tested it and everything. But the first thing I would look for is ammonia and then nitrite. That's what I would look for. And then I would think, did I have lotion on my hands when I got in the tank? Is there any possible way some kind of chemical or something could have been introduced to the tank? But in my general experience, if I put fish in a tank and a few days later they're struggling, with me it's almost always ammonia or nitrite is the two normal culprits. Now, if that's accompanied by like her her body, the platy's body kind of swelling up or something or that or eyes kind of bulging and stuff like that, then you've got an osmotic regulation issue. If they came from really hard water and you have soft water, that can happen. But um, most people in the United States have hard water, so I'm doubting it's that. So those are my, I know that that's probably something you've already thought of, Cichlids 23, but those are the two things that I usually notice if there's a sudden problem, ammonia or nitrite, as, as basic as that sounds. And after doing this all these years, I still run into it occasionally where a tank that I thought would have plenty of bacteria in it doesn't. And I put fish in it and it's like, oh man, didn't realize we were going to go through a mini cycle right now. So I don't know if that helps Cichlids 23, but that's what I would check. Small fry aquarium fish. Absolutely. Temps are much less important than ammonia and waste. Yeah. I mean, that stuff's just burning through their gills. <laughs> so it's like, get them out. Yep. Cichlids 23. I'll test nitrite. Ammonia was good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a tank here where the fish weren't, weren't necessarily dying, but were acting a little strange. And I tested for ammonia and it wasn't that. So I was like, they're fine. But then I was like, well, I might as well test for other stuff. So I got my six in one stick, stuck it in. And I was like, oh man, we're at like a three on nitrite. Didn't see that coming. So how I solved it is I got an established sponge filter from another tank, put it in. Um, got a bunch of pumice rock that I have in... Um, some live food cultures in my scud cultures. I'll put these containers full of pumice stones in there and threw those in there. And um, so that was yesterday. And today everything seems to be fine. So just this mini little blip, something happened. And it could be as simple as like a plant dying or an algae bloom on the wall dying. And now, now it's not processing nitrite as quickly as it was. So, I mean, our little tanks, they're pretty complex ecosystems. <laughs> There's a lot of variables. So anyway, hope that works. Cichlids 23. Fish Guru Aquatics. How much methylene blue do I dose for my eggs? Of the of, for my for eggs, my geophagus are breeding right now. Um, I would have to look that up because it's not something I use routinely. So I don't know, Thomas, off the top of my head. But I will point you to um a website that I use regularly. Oops, hang on. It's not going. Okay, here we go. 
So this is, in my opinion, an oldie but goodie. AmericanAquariumProducts.com. This is a great rundown of different medicines and things like that. Really good information on fish medication. And in here, there's one that's methylene blue, one section. Here it is. So if you click on here, then uh, we can find methylene blue. Anyway, I'm not going to do it right now on, on camera. But Thomas, I would check that website out and see what uh, they recommend for the dosage. I think it's on there for an egg preventative. Um, if not, killy people use methylene blue all the time. So I know the information's out there. It's just, it's not a product I use very often. So Thomas Skipper, can you show a pic of the new killifish you got in? Yeah, Funnel Panchax Garden Ray. Is this. Oops. <laughs> okay, here we go. So these guys just came in. So <coughs> they're not going to be ready for sale till after the new year. And they're not colored up great right now. Uh, what do they look like right now? Um, let me see if I can find a picture. No, uh, kind of like this right now, but they'll, they'll color in better. Um, I've got another one that's awesome and it's ready to go right now. It's Aphiosimum caliurum. Oops. So these guys I've had for a while and they're proving tough as nails. So these are beautiful fish. I really like them and they're doing great for me. So that's another killie if you're looking for one with quite a bit of color on it. They might be worth checking out, Thomas. Carter Bean, can you add the link for the medication site? Um, yeah, I can. All right, here we go. Added. There it is. Yeah, so fish medicine's hard to come by. There's this site has some pretty good information on it. There's the Fish Doctor channel on YouTube, who's an actual fish vet. So a little more trustworthy than what we usually get on the internet. And there's the Aquarius, not the Aquarius podcast. Um, there's another podcast. I like the Aquarius podcast, but Aquarium Mania. Aquarium Mania is a, a podcast that's done by a fish veterinarian as well. And there's at least one episode where he has a discussion with another fish veterinarian and they go in, they get into the weeds about uh, the details of ick and hole in the head and all those things that you're always reading 50 different causes and cures for on the internet. So it's nice to get it from a veterinarian. The truth is I ignore almost all the fish medicine advice I get on the internet because it's, it's, lore it's a lot of it's myth and i anytime i can find a veterinarian that's giving out the information on video or in a podcast or on a site or something or a fish medicine production company like that website um then i'll then i'll put some confidence in what they say but yeah i won't get started down that rabbit hole fish medicine is something that we do just through mythology and lore in this hobby, I think. Carter Bean, thanks. Hey, you're welcome. All right. So um, I'm curious. It's been a while since we've done this. What other folks have breeding, what other folks are raising. Right now, for me, I've got uh, the Cuba 
not Kubitai, the um, the dwarf Kamaka rainbow fish. I'm raising a batch of those. Really like that fish. They're beautiful. Um, after you see me in Australi Gold, Photolopantrax Gardneri P82, Aplocolic the Spalachin, Peacock Gudgeons, and some live bearers. That's kind of what I've got going on. Um, I'm about, I'm fattening up my better rubra and I'm about to put them together. I think I've got four or five males that I'm going to pair with some females. That's my breeding group. So hopefully I'll get a big batch of them coming soon, which is exciting. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I got going on. I'm curious what other folks are breeding or raising, if anything, or what projects they're hoping to do. Um, oh yeah, Candy's got a pistos. So I saw Candy's a pistos breeding. She's got cockatoides for days. <laughs> Sounds a little funny when you say it out loud, but um, yeah, Candy's got this amazing epistogramma, epistogramma cockatoides tank. Um, bunch of them breeding in there. And her, that dominant male was right out in front with his, you know, his peacock comb all up and he, or his cockatoo comb, I guess, his crest up and he was they were looking awesome. They're looking great. Just curious what other people got going. Aquatic Jack says cribs. Cool. Peppercories, green corys, mutt platies, super red plecos, and mutt guppies. Well, that's cool. That sounds like a ton of fun. So, um, Aquatic Jack, what have you found the best way to incubate corys eggs? Um, You've got the peppers and the greens, so Aeneas and Paleotis. Do you take them out and put them in another container? Do you remove the parents? How do you do that? I always take them out, but I'm sure there's other ways to do it. <laughs> Guppy puppies. I'm breeding pond snails. Yes. Whew. Finally cracked the code of the pond snail. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Fish Guru Aquatics, I got a female flower horn for my male Thai silk. Oh, cool. Did you get that Thai silk that was listed at Get Gills? Did you get them from the flower horn supply? That was a good looking one. Or did you find one somewhere else? I just remember seeing that one and being like, man, whoever gets that thing is going to be lucky. That was a beautiful fish. Small fry aquarium fish. Got long fin super reds. Cool. Xenotoka dodrai. And don't tell anyone, but Bosmani Cories. Oh, man, that would be awesome. Corridors Bosmani. I hope so. Bob's going for pelvic acromis. Cool. And they laid eggs. Oh, that's awesome. Is that the pelvic acromis uh, sacramontis that you just got that I just sent you? Or is that the... Uh, a, a different pair of cribs. If you already bred the Sacramontis, I'm a little jealous. I, I put three pairs in three different tanks trying to do that. And so far, no dice, but, oh man, I hope you did, Bob. I hope it's the Sacramontis. Jeff Chambers, not that the others aren't cool, but I, I'd be real excited for the, the care species to start getting bred more in captivity. Raising Melanotania parva, and a ton of peacock gudgeons. The endlers and shell dwellers pretty much handle themselves. Jeff, um, what are you doing for first food for your peacock gudgeons? I've got a tank full of like infusoria, like it's it's a white cloudy 20 long that I'm keeping infusoria in, and that's what I plan on using. But 
I'm just curious what you use. Have you ever used baby brine shrimp as a first food? Have you found that to be okay or is that too big? So I bred peacock gudgeons a lot, but I've never like bred and raised them. I've never taken the eggs out and really tried to raise a good batch. So that's why I'm asking. I could use uh, your tips, Jeff Chambers, on your first foods for that fish. We much appreciate appreciated, appreciated. ML9's fish tanks, raising tomato clownfish. Yeah, I saw that in your video. Um, <clears throat> for those that don't know, <coughs> MHow9 did a video live stream the other day and he did a little mini tour of his fish room and we got to see the clownfish with eggs, which was cool. I haven't got them to metamorphosis yet. Yellow labs and purple ACIs, cool. Autopharynx, um, Tetrastigma, and Liberis. So some cichlids, some Liberis, and some clowns. Cool. Uh, M, how are those fish doing good that, that you got? Just curious how those are doing. I kept watching to see uh, the unboxing, but I haven't seen it yet. So looking for that. HC Aqua, I bred those drape fin barbs from you. Great. So you, did you, so you saw something really cool. So HC Aqua... Is that not the most beautiful fish in the world when those males are spawning and displaying? I mean, oh, they're so gorgeous. I'm glad that happened. A, so that you have babies, but B, just so you got to see that. It's drape fin barbs, man. Neon drape fin barbs. You go to the pet store, they're, they're these brown little darts. They look horrible. They always come in with worms and the pet store probably isn't treating them. So they, they're and they're a thin fish to begin with. So you got these sunken pinch bellies, little brown darts. It's horrible. But I can't say it enough. Get them in a good tank, deworm them. And as soon as they settle in, those males are going to give you a show that is amazing. Truly amazing. Anyway, I'm, I'm real excited, HC, that that's happening for you. Aquatic Jack says, oh, you removed the parents. Cool. And keep the babies in the established aquarium. That makes a lot of sense because there's a bunch of infusoria and critters in them in there for them to eat. Um, what do you use as the first food though when you do start feeding them? If you don't mind sharing, you don't have to. Thomas Skipper, I'm breeding Mickey Mouse platies right now. Hopefully clown killies soon. Yeah. And those, I, I guarantee you, if they're healthy, those clown killies are breeding for you. So you'll start seeing little fry pretty soon, I'm sure. Uh, Wichita says to Candy Overhauls, are you selling any Epistas online? Are you, Candy? Are you? If you need help shipping, I know someone that can help you with that. Ringatui, eight leucistic longfin leopard daniels showed up in my last batch. Huh. So I've separated them out. Interested to see what I get when they breed. Yeah. Yeah. So do they look different than like a gold daniel? That would, yeah, I can't wait to see what that is. So Candy's not selling them yet. Well, if they keep going like they are candy, you're going to have to, because there'll be no way you can keep all those. Cichlids 23. I got my beautiful four-inch dragon blood, a girlfriend in the hopes they breed, and he killed her in an hour. Oh, but I got guppy fry. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Oh, that's, that's not fun. Yeah, I like cichlids, but there's a reason I'm not deep into them. <laughs> Just like Victorian cichlids, they're so pretty, but you get that one dominant male and everyone else is like up in the corners. <laughs> I'm not going to rat on cichlids because then I'll come across like I don't like them. I do. I do. 
And I'm sorry that that happened. Hope you get another female and it works out better next time. Michael Wilson, not sure where you got the true breeding info on the cauliflower swords. I've had them since July and the fry are 50 to 60 high fin. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know, Michael Wilson. So you're only getting 50 to 60% high fin. Okay. Well, I didn't know that. <coughs> I'm going to have to adjust that video a little bit. Well, at least it's not a lethal gene and they're not all dying, right? Um, so are the other ones like just look like the same but with without the cauliflower fin? Is that what you have going on? And thanks for letting me know. I got that. I, I started just reading a bunch of uh, forms and stuff with breeders, um, like Zephophorus geeks. And from what they said, it looked to me like they would breed true. So that's why I said that. But if you're having a different story, then I wonder if they will. Or if it's a different line or something. I don't know. Huh. But that's good information. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate that. Mob Guppy, hi. Well, hello. In fact, let me make a note here so I don't forget. Um, hang on, this is important. Uh, I'll put a note on that video, uh, Michael. I'll put a a little text note on that section um, where I say, well, also I've talked to one breeder who currently has, you know, 50 to 60% hyphens on his drops. That's good information. See, this is why, this is why I hate going off. The internet's a great resource, but this is why it's important to either get the experience yourself or talk to someone who actually has the experience, right? Because I've only had those fish for about two weeks now, a little less than two weeks now. And so I, I don't have the experience. So I rely on what I read. And then things are so full of misinformation that you do your best to glean the correct information, but it's not always correct. Or maybe they are correct. Maybe their strains, they've been working with long enough that theirs are dropping 100%. But, um, but I don't want to misrepresent if there's a possibility that they'll uh, drop differently than 100% true. Fish Guru Aquatics. Blue's been my pet for a year. He's my buddy. I got him from Chris. Rounds imported from Malaysia. Oh, okay. So your Thai silk you've had for a while. Thai silk flower horn. Jeff Chambers started with infusoria, then straight to baby brine. Okay. So that, that's what I'm kind of planning on doing. That's why I've got uh, Infusoria tank going right now. Um, oops. Well, you can still see me. I won't go turn that back on. I think we're good. This tank behind me might go off soon. <laughs> um, what time is it? It's 7.57. So we'll go for a little while longer, but I, I am going to uh, not go two hours today like I did last time because Friday Fish Facts is going to be doing a live stream at 8 o'clock tonight, my time. So 7 o'clock Pacific time. Is that right, Candy? I think that's right. Um, so his is going to start in a few minutes. And so um, I'll get to the last questions and comments we have. And then we will uh, maybe shut down and head over to Friday Fish Facts with um, KG Tropicals. So don't want people to miss that. 
Fish Guru Aquatics is trying to breed pea puffers. Oh, cool. Cool. I think anytime anyone can breed any puffer, it's quite an accomplishment. Although I have been uh, seeing a lot of Shodentai puffers recently uh, that folks seem to be breeding. There's, I, I got into them a little bit because I know a guy that's breeding them and I was just curious about how he did it. He's in Texas. And um, it turns out there's a lot of YouTube videos about it. It seems like several people have had luck with them. I don't think it's common or easy, but it's happening. So that's pretty cool. I hope you do breed them. That'd be awesome. Real stinks. I'm raising fungus and angelfish eggs. <laughs> so the angelfish eggs become a uh, fodder for fungus. 23 dime size angels. Cool. I'm sorting guppy fry and I have one and it cuts you off. Okay. Well, cool. I'm glad that the angelfish are, are doing well. Are those from the uh, platinum angels I sent you a while ago? The, the little dime size guys? Michael Wilson, the low fins are nice sized red eye reds. The high fins appear to be the original Simpson high fin with the ruffled dorsal modifier and wide sword in the males. Okay. So you get some of those and then the others are red eye red, just normal fin. Okay. Good to know. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate that. Pam did a live stream. Bob says, congrats, Pam, on doing a live stream. Do you have another one planned? Oh, Pam, I didn't know you did a live stream. I'm going to have to go check that out. Sorry I missed that. The other name is Saber Swords, says Michael Wilson. They're really happy when they get big, frequent water, water changes. Mine fight a lot, males and females. Weird. Oh, really? Well, you've probably had them a lot longer than I have, but um, the ones I have, super mellow. Not like sick mellow, not like something's wrong with us, we don't feel good, so we're just chilling. But, I don't know, they, they don't bother anything. MHow9 says, Dance Fish, they're doing great, the unboxing will drop tomorrow. Okay, cool, I'll check that out. I always like watching unboxings of my fish because then I see what it's like on the other side. And every now and then I'll learn something, I'll be watching, I'll notice something. Um... Like Bob with the low temperatures the other day. I was like, oops, time to change something there. Or I'll see a corner crimped wrong and I'll be like, oh, I need to change how I seal corners. Things like that. So I appreciate all the unboxings. Um, I learn a ton. And it's nice because for so many years, I'd send fish out and people would say, tell me when they arrive. But I never got to see it. <laughs> YouTube's great. I get to actually see what it's like on the other side. Bob Kaler's Fish Hobby, thanks for the live stream. I hope catfish settle in and become available soon. Yes, I do too. I'll keep trying, Bob. And thanks for the 20 bucks, Bob. I really, really appreciate it. Wonderful to have you around here and in all the other channels that you uh, support. Ring a e Pure white, but normal eye color. They are almost see-through. Okay, what were we talking about, Ring a e I know what we were talking about that we were talking about something, but I've forgotten what it was. Hang on, I gotta find Ringatui's comment here. Hang on, I'm looking, I'm looking. Hey, 55 watching, 56 watching, that's pretty good for us. Thanks everybody for coming. I really appreciate you having, having you here. It's uh, makes it a lot more interesting, that's for sure. <laughs> Ring a tui, what were we talking about? I can't find it. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
<laughs> I apologize for that. Um, <clears throat> pure white, but almost normal, but normal eye color. They're almost see-through. Oh, what fish is that? Jeez. I, I can't remember. I'll catch it on the replay. I'll look for that. And whatever I said that wasn't mean. <laughs> Michael Wilson, the, answer, the lethal gene in hyphen swords reduces brood size is 25% of the fried dye. Yeah, in utero. So maximum of hyphens is 66%, right? But that's not... The lethal gene's absent in these, right? That's what it seemed like from what I was reading Michael Wilson, if you could confirm that, the, the kind I have, I call them cauliflower sores, just to differentiate them from the other hyphens. From what I understand, they don't have the lethal gene. From what I've read, and I've read as much as I can on the internet, um, let me know if that's wrong. I thought that that lethal gene uh, was something that the, the kind of more normal hyphen swords experienced. But if these guys do too, then I need to totally redo that video that I did if I'm wrong about that. So let me know that, Michael, if you would. Um, Cichlids23, thanks for a great stream. Hey, you're welcome. Uh, yeah, check that tank. Hopefully you can figure it out and get it fixed. I'm sorry I don't have other ideas, but yeah, I hope the other platies do well. Anyway, I'm... Uh, I'm, I'm just waiting to see if Michael can answer my question about the lethal gene in these swords, which I, I know it's like a they're homozygous or double head or whatever you call it, right? And so, so some of them don't make it. Um, but I, I'm curious to see if that's the same for this strain or not. Anyway... Um, well, Michael, if you heard this and uh, if you're willing to email me that the answer to that question, that would be awesome. I think we're going to shut it down here and send people over to Friday Fish Facts, who is currently doing a live stream uh, with a guest artist, <laughs> KG Tropicals. So everyone head over to that. Thanks for hanging out. Bob, thanks for the super chat. Thanks to my mods. Thank to everyone who, thanks to everyone who participated, had questions, comments, helped other people out that had questions, and um, or lurked. I respect the lurkers. Um, Michael Wilson says, we have the same strain, same dorsal and brilliant deep. You'll see the low fins too. Okay, cool. All right. All right, good to know. I might just redo that video. Um, so, Michael, are you saying that there is the lethal gene in these? Is that what you mean by saying we have the same strain, so I'll get them too? Or were you referring to kind of the the uh, old-time, more widely spread strain of hyphen swordtails? I think you might be referring to these, but I can't quite tell. Yes, these. Okay, I got to redo that entire video then. Oh, man, I'm going to actually take that video down as soon as I stop this live stream because I don't want to spread misinformation. Michael, thank you for that. I appreciate the clarification. Again, did my best, but sometimes you research stuff and <laughs> steers you wrong. Okay, guys, I'm going to shut it down so everyone can get over to Friday Fish Facts and so I can uh, take down this video until I can correct it. Okay, I'll talk to you all later. Have a good one. I'll see you next Wednesday at 7 o'clock p.m. Mountain Time. Bye-bye.